Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. Uh, I love so much about the worship experience that we had this morning um, so far, and that emphasis that God has not forgotten. And before, you know, we get into uh, the word, we want to be able to lean into that uh, faith and that experience through prayer. Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, Pastor James has been really emphasizing, give us, giving us opportunity to pray together. There's something unique. You know, we see in the scriptures, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am kind of uniquely present. And so we want to give us an opportunity to pray uh, together um, and intercede for each other. Uh, the verse that we kind of reflect on is several uh, passages in James uh, in the fifth chapter. It makes this statement, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him. And, it, and, and, and there's this aspect of us coming together and, and, and to having this sense of intercession. And it talks about how the prayer of faith will heal. That sins that have been committed will be forgiven. And the power isn't necessarily through me, but it's through us uh, trusting God together. And so we want to just invite you up, regardless of whatever you might be going through. It might be a financial crisis or struggle. It might be physical health, mental health. It might be anything that is causing a, a relational challenge or need. But we want to just invite you uh, to come up and Pastor Josh and myself will just intercede for anybody who has need today because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of intercession. And, um, and yeah, we want to just be able to pray with you, pray for you, and, um, and to do that together collectively as a community. So we just give you a moment to come up. If that's you today, we got, we're going to make time for the spirit to move. We're going to make time for us to call upon the name of the Lord together because he has not forgotten. He knows you by name. He knows your needs by name. And there's something about when we take time to align our hearts, to align our spirits, to align ourselves, to be in a posture of reception. Yeah, you could just keep coming spread out and try to get a little, actually don't spread out. Let's get closer so that we can uh, make our way here. You can come over here. And that's the word for today. He's not forgotten. So let's uh, pray together. You could just um, bow your head. And, and yes, and um, Pastor Joshua, just, you know, lay a hand on you as just a, a physical demonstration of God's presence. And those who are sitting, just be in a posture of prayer as we intercede for our brothers and sisters today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not forgotten us. 
We thank you that you invite us, even through the storms that we may be going through, to trust you. Lord God, we come right now before you because we recognize that there is no issue too big for you, but there's also no issue too small. That you invite us to come to you in our need. And there's something about when we come to you as a child and just kill our pride, kill the things that would be concerned about how people would think or what they would say. But when we just come with an attitude of, God, we need you, you move. God, you tell us that Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed and the rains in the heaven was shut up for years and he prayed again and the rain came down and we just prayed that the rain would come down in our life the rain of healing would come down the rain of financial blessing and restoration would come down the rain of healing relationships would come down the rain of your presence God some of us have felt dry and just felt distant from you that Lord the rain of your presence would come down here today right now and Lord we pray that as we humble ourselves as we reflect on even the things that might be hindrances that we're causing. God, that you would help us remove them out the way, God. Lord, the ways in which we may turn to other things instead of you, God, we just commit that to you right now. We confess that to you right now. And we ask, God, that you would give us the power, give us the strength to trust you yet again. There are ways in which there are areas of our lives that we have stopped trusting you in. We've decided to take it up on ourselves. And we just ask you right now, God, we just give it to you again. We say we realize and we recognize and we admit that we are not God and that only you can move these mountains. And so we ask you to move the mountains, God. We ask you to move the mountains, God. There's things that we look at and they just seem immovable. But God, you tell us that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, get the hints and it will move, God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have faith again, that you would help us to trust again, that you would help us to believe again, that you would help us to expect again. God, some of our expectations have been dashed by the rocks of life. We've experienced disappointment after disappointment, and it's just hard to believe we're tired. God, we pray that you would, you tell us those who wait upon the Lord, you will renew their strength, that they will mount up like on wings as an eagle. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not faint. Help us to not faint today, God. Help us to trust you with greater strength because fill us with your spirit because you tell us it is not by might, It is not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. God, we still believe that your spirit is moving here today. We still believe your spirit is working here today. And we right now don't just call upon you, but we actually say to our own souls, I will bless the Lord, oh my soul. In all that is within me, we command our souls to hope again. We command ourselves to believe again. We command ourselves to stand at attention and expectation for what you are going to do. And Lord, 
we pray and intercede for each other. We might come in here today. We might have be be full and, and be full of expectation and hope. But our brother and our sister is struggling. And we ask that you would just be with them, God. That they could lean on our faith, God. That they could lean on our hope, God. That they could lean on the things that they see. That there would not be a sense of jealousy or envy. But there would be a sense of aspiration. God, you did it for them and let's do it for me too. God, we thank you that you know our needs before we even ask. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words when we don't have the words. We might be here today and all we can say is, mm. God, we just ask that you take that, mm, wrap it up in your Spirit's ling- linguistic capabilities and then put that as a prayer that you know exactly what we need. You know our name and you can name the issue. You name the financial struggle. You name the physical struggle. You name everything that we need. God, and lastly, we just want to rejoice already, God. We don't have to wait until we see the answer to the prayer. We can rejoice right now by faith. We count it done. We count ourselves close to you. We count it finished because you said it is finished at the cross and that we can cast every care and every anxiety on you because you care for us. God, we worship you today. We rejoice in you today. And we look forward to what you're going to do in and through our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that all the people of God say, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. It's good to pray with each other and for each other. Well, um, first, before I get started, I just got to give a shout out to anybody who come up, was here yesterday for Authentic Sisterhood. Any Authentic Sisterhood women in the building? I got a chance to hear from multiple testimonies, including my wife, Tamika, who I heard gave a word yesterday, um, that it was a really dynamic experience. Uh, the theme, I love the theme, what now? Navigating through disappointment, hopefully. And as the sisters always do, y'all just went deep and got there into the crevices and cornices of, of cornices. <laughs> I made a new word crevices and corners of of your world and your lives together and not to be outdone men we got to show up man because they came rolling deep they came rolling deep yesterday so please mark your calendars for march 25th so we can keep that same energy but one of the reasons why i love that theme about navigating through disappointment hopefully is because it really sets us up well for today in this theme of hope that we've been hearing from and that challenge, that tension between disappointment and hope is, is recorded in Scripture, and we, we know it by name. In, in the first part of Proverbs thirteen twelve, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of you, I can see you now and go, yup, that is true. And no doubt, this is the inspiration for, this was the inspiration for Langston Hughes, who famously and so eloquently asked, what happens to a dream deferred? He continued to describe, does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester 
like a sore, then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? And that reflection and that question was really something that wasn't just something he creatively wrote. You see, that, that poem is called Harlem. And he wrote it just a few years after one of the most major race riots that the nation had ever seen, which took place in Harlem. And you got to understand the context that in the 40s you had the great migration of many people who were escaping the violence, African-Americans of the South, the racism of Jim Crow. And they came up to the North looking for a new realities they had heard, a new promised land. But what they found was more racism, more poverty. And in 1943, what happened was a white officer shot and killed a, uh, well, shot a, a, a black soldier. Now that kind of sounds eerily familiar, that the conflagration, the, 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 the stockpiling of the kindle of unmet expectations of disappointment combined with violence by an officer would flame up into a riot. And so there's nothing new under the sun. And so after George Floyd, after a pandemic, after all of these things, people are still asking, what happens to a dream deferred? To the believer who has trusted God for an answer to prayer, for healing that hasn't come yet, for provision which hasn't come yet, for companionship what hasn't come yet, what happens to a dream deferred? Hope deferred does make the heart sick, but the second part of that verse says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And the good news is that God provides a tree of life for us, that that isn't the end of the story. And in, in 1 Peter 1, we've been hearing about how Peter referred to those who he was writing to, these Jewish believers from all over the world, as the elect exiles, it describes them in the first couple verses of the book. And that word exile is pregnant with meaning, especially in their context as Jewish people. Exiles are those who have been expelled from their native country, typically for punitive, political, religious reasons. They're exiles. They're someplace where they don't want to be far away from home, not by their choice, like an immigrant, but by someone else's choice. They're resident aliens living somewhere else, but they hope to return to their homeland. But we're going to look at the original concept of that aspect of exile today. You see, how did, they, how did the Jewish people get there to a place where they were dispersed and not in the promised land anymore? How did their dream get deferred? And, and what does God say to them in the midst of that? So we're going to go back to the Old Testament today and Jeremiah who was a prophet who warned the people about an exile if they hadn't turned to God and then got to see them not listen and then the exile actually happened. And then he writes to them 
after it happens and tells them a word from the Lord. And this is important because in order to grasp the depths of hope, we have to understand the depths of despair. So in Jeremiah 29, in verse 1, we read, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priest, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, again, how did we get here? Well, we got to start back into the book of Exodus. You remember that after Joseph, you know, has his dream and and, and he and he ends up in Egypt and then becomes second in command and and tells his family to come in and and, and he gets this blessing. And so they they are there and they're flourishing in Egypt. And then suddenly what happens is years, decades later, there's a pharaoh who gets nervous about how much they're growing. And so then he begins to uh, oppress the Jewish people, and then put them into slavery, into bondage. And they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord then sends a deliverer and Moses to confront Pharaoh, to confront his uh, oppressive use of power, and to liberate the people of Israel. And he promises them, he gives them an opportunity and offer. He's in the wilderness as they're leaving Egypt and coming into the promise. And he said, okay, this is the opportunity. Here's an opportunity We can make a covenant together. Somebody say covenant. 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 A covenant was just an agreement. It's a contract. It's 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 a a a, an opportunity to say it wasn't coercive, but a choice to say, here's the deal. I will be your God and you be my people. I'll bless you in the land of the promise. Here's what I expect from you. Follow me. Do justice. Don't oppress people like you were oppressed in Egypt. But actually do good and follow my ways. And then I will use you as an example for the nations of what it looks like for God to be in the midst of his people. You want that deal? They say, yes, sign me up. And almost immediately as the ink is still wet on the page, or in their context, the sacrifice was still dripping from the altar, they begin to rebel against that covenant and worship other gods and put their trust in other things and oppress each other. And there was warning after warning after warning. If you you, look, the whole deal is off if you don't actually fulfill your end of the bargain. You see, like, essentially your obedience is your rent for being in the land. And if you don't continue to obey me, you will get evicted. And so he sends prophet after prophet to warn them and they don't listen. And so eventually Nebuchadnezzar comes up at the door, knocking on it, saying, you got to go. It's time to leave. And they were in disbelief and shock. 
because they had believed falsely, there was this concept called, we call it the inviolability of Zion. There was a belief that said that because God has given us this land, he will never let us leave this land. He will never stop blessing us because we're his people. So don't worry. We can continue to do what we want to do. We can continue to exploit others. We can continue to worship other gods because he ain't going to stop because we his people. And they were dead wrong. And so when, they, when Jeremiah was warning them, they wouldn't listen. And in fact, there were other prophets that rose up that were false prophets who were telling them the exact opposite. And here's the first point about despair and understanding hope. Hope expects trials. The biggest problem that they had was that somehow they thought that, well, because I named God my God and we're his people, that that somehow makes me immune to trials. That somehow disqualifies me from having to deal with the other issues of life that everyone around me have to deal with. And God is like, I never said that. That was never part of the deal. Sometimes we try to sneak in this clause and then in our prayer lives and one, you know, like just say, well, God, I'm your people. So therefore I shouldn't be going through this. When God is like, that wasn't the deal. And so as a result of that, believers often mistakenly believe that walking with God will mean the absence of trials. When in fact, the opposite is true. And God is upfront about that. But one thing that helps is to understand that a trial is a formal examination of evidence before a judge. A trial is looking to examine is the depth of what you said that you had in this agreement actually real. It's easy to say, I believe God when everything is going well. But what happens when you have a little turbulence in your life? What trials have taken you off guard? That you thought because of the inviolability of the temple of your body that God would never strike it. Or because of your desire for comfort, you would think God would never make me uncomfortable. In what way are there some things that you need to expect? You see, Jeremiah isn't taken off guard because he sees that behind the biggest, baddest bully that the world has ever seen is a greater God who judges and says, I have sent you into exile. Did y'all peep that? The first part of the verse says, Nebuchadnezzar sent you into exile. The second says, I have sent you into exile. Well, which is it? Yes. Okay. That's funny until you see the implication of this in your life. That means there's somebody in your life who's Nebuchadnezzar to you that is causing you difficulty and trial. And God is behind that saying it ain't just about them. And if you just keep your eye focused on them, you miss what I'm doing. Yeah, that, yeah, that don't feel good. I, I get it. I get it. Don't worry. Just say ouch and move on. Um, but this was shocking because he wouldn't send a pagan. He wouldn't send an idolater. He wouldn't send an oppressive person to do something in my life. Actually, he would. God, through Jeremiah, tells the exiles, what he t- if, and if that wasn't shocking, wait, there's more. Check out the next verse. Build houses, Jeremiah. So this is the message. That was just a preamble to set up. Here's what he tells them. Build houses and live in them. 
Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there in Babylon and don't decrease. (laughs) Now, if they could wrap their head around all right, this was this trial that happened. All right, God, we get the point. You, you know, you punished us. They, they could wrap their heads around that. This next point is even tougher. Hope expects time. Time. You see, there was still this sense of a thread of like, all right, well, since it was almost like they thought it was like a spanking, like, you know, some parents would give y'all options. Um, my parent wasn't one of these, but was like, would you like spanking or punishment? Like, you time out. And there's some of y'all that's like, give me the spanking, because then I just get it over with, and then I can go out and play with my friends, right? That wasn't my testimony, but I understand <laughs> that that's a thing. And so they just thought, okay, we just get into one thing. God's like, and I didn't say that. It's both. It's going to take some time. So build houses... You know how long it takes to build a house? And live in the house. (laughs) Plant gardens. You know how long it takes to plant gardens to see them things grow? And eat of their produce. Have kids. See your kids get married all in Babylon. He said, buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be here for a while. (laughs) And the reality is... They thought, and they were talking amongst themselves, and when you read the book of Jeremiah, you see that a lot of the the buzz was, well, we're going to come back. He's going to send somebody to rescue us right now. We get the point. We messed up. Fix it right now, God. And when God doesn't jump, when we say jump, we start to struggle with our hope. And he's saying hope takes time. Hope expects time. It's not going to be immediate. That there's this aspect where God's rotisserie style doesn't just put it in a microwave, dee, 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 one minute. But for him to get our faith so that it's falling off the bone, he has to take a little longer to do his thing in us. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes. He wants a well-marinated faith. Some of us can... now. We got a global lesson in this recently. On March 3rd, 2020, Governor Andrew Cuomo, remember him, announced announced the first recorded case of COVID. Person, Person to person had spread in New York when a person from New Rochelle was working in a law firm at one grand central place in Midtown. And announced we had our first COVID case, March 3rd. Six days later, on March 9th, Mayor Bill de Blasio, remember him? (laughs) Announced that there were 16 confirmed cases of COVID in New York City. And the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic on March 11, 2020. Exactly three years ago today. It was announced there's a pandemic in this world. Remember when some of us thought that we were just like on an extended spring break for a few weeks? You know what I mean? Like, hey, we just going to watch Tiger King and like chill. You know what I mean? Remember that? Like, oh, it's kind of fun. 
And remember when days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into deferred dreams that crushed a lot of our hopes and expectations. Sometimes the last three years have lasted longer than our hope. COVID outlasted the governor, the mayor. My daughter's grad school, college, she finished. There was no graduation because it was still on shutdown. Relationships have ended and started. We've moved three times. (laughs) It has been an incredible test of time. And Jeremiah tells them it's going to take a while. And all the things that you can feel that were disappointments that you can remember in the last three years is part of that struggle. But here's the thing about time that we can also know. We decide if it's a good time or bad time. We must decide whether waiting on God will be an obstacle or an opportunity. That's our choice. Waiting can be an obstacle or an opportunity. You see, Jeremiah was familiar with Joseph, right? He remembered that there was this dreamer at 17 years old who God gave this dream that I am going to be in a position of leadership, that my family is going to respect and even honor me in that position of leadership. And before you knew it, he was in prison for a crime he didn't commit rotting away after his brother sold him into slavery. And he would have had every time and attention because it wasn't just three weeks and it wasn't just three years to say, God, you, you, you messed up. You told me one thing. I trusted you for one thing. Where is that thing? I'm in prison now. An innocent man, forgotten. He literally was forgotten by another inmate who was like, yo, man, when I get out, I'm going to remember you. And then forgot. Until Pharaoh needed a dream that to be interpreted. And then he said, oh, yeah, there was this dude in prison that I met, and then he brought him out, and then God did his thing through Joseph and rescued the people, and his family did honor him. But the interesting thing about it, if you look at the end of that story, which takes place about 15 years after he has a dream, he's now in his 30s from a dream he had at 17, and now he's in a position to receive the honor that he didn't have before when he was a spoiled brat. Now he's in a position to forgive them. Now he's in a position to extend grace because of what happened to him in the waiting. He allowed his waiting and the time to be an opportunity and not an obstacle. Are you allowing time to be an opportunity or an obstacle? That's that's a choice of what we do with the time. There's some of us who got degrees during this time, this COVID. Some of us changed, pursued passions that you had and realized there were new opportunities. There's some of us who've done those things, and there's some of us who've just been stuck because I didn't think this would be as long. This isn't the way I turned, I thought it would turn out to be, and I trusted God for one thing, and I got something else. What are you doing with time? Hope expects time. The very nature of hope is an expectation of something that has not yet come to pass. And so he says, build, build houses, take time, make gardens. But if that wasn't shocking enough, he says, but wait, there's more. Now, everything up to this point would have been very shocking. This next verse would have blown their entire minds. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What? Huh? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. I get you saying it's going to take some time, Lord. Got you. That, you know, I need to, you know, recognize trials are a part of the process. I get it. But now you're asking me to pray for the very people who sent me into this difficult situation, this place. They didn't want Babylon. They, Babylon in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the very symbol of everything carnal, wicked, evil, ugly, God opposing, people hating. They didn't want nothing to do with Babylon. They're not there by choice. They're there as exiles. And you asking me to pray for the city? And not only pray for it, but that, that word that's translated, depending on your translation, it, it says welfare um, in the uh, English standard, but other translations says peace and prosperity. And now it's one word, but it's a Hebrew word, shalom. And that word shalom, there's really no English equivalent to the word shalom. We, we, peace is like a shorthand, but peace really doesn't do it in English because when we think of peace, we think about it more as like um, the absence of conflict. We think like, you know, things are kind of like, I'm, I'm like chilling. There's not war, there's peace. But in the Hebrew context, it is much more robust. It has to do with the holistic restoration of all of life. It's like I got everything going in the right direction at the same time. I'm well, it is well with God. It is well with my soul. It is well with my body. It is well with my pocketbook. It is well with my relationships. It is well across the board. Shalom. And so he's telling them to pray for the holistic well-being and the peace of their enemies in their city that they're in without their will. (laughs) That seems like that's going to be a little difficult, right? But here's the point. Don't just mourn what you lost, but meditate on what opportunities you've been given. Don't just mourn what you lost. Meditate on the opportunities. And here's the deal. Until I get to the place where I can see God at work wanting to bless me and in this web of ensure mutuality we have, bless others through me, then I'm not ready for the breakthrough. If I'm still harboring bitterness and a grudge, I can't even get there if I want to. This is something that we struggle with, but this is absolutely part of the mission. Because remember, the reason why they got expelled from the promised land in the first place is because they weren't doing shalom with each other. And so now he's like, you got to do that in order to get to the place where you can go back home and do shalom with each other. Practice makes perfect. And this is hard, y'all. I know it's hard. Like, so neighbors in New York City is a very interesting thing. It's a, it's, it's, it can be, it can be really rough. Last summer, I live in Crown Heights. Um, Last summer, we got some new neighbors. And my block is pretty much either Hasidic Jew or black. Like, that's, that's pretty much one of the two. And like, literally on my left, my duplex is a black family. On my right, uh, this Jewish family moved in. Now, this landlord, uh, who happened to be a Hasidic Jew, actually bought the house that last summer. And they started making some changes, which involved, like, a major construction project that put, ended up putting the debris between our two houses. Like, I could not even get to the back without risk of hurting myself because there was this debris there. 
And, um, and so we reached out and tried to get it, you know, week after week, couldn't, there was no response. So eventually I talked to my landlord, who's from Brooklyn. And, uh, <laughs> and all that that implies. And uh, he got really upset. He, you know, had a confrontation. He was yelling at the tenants when it really wasn't their fault. It was a landlord's fault. But it was, it, create, it was tension on top of tension. There's already tension in the neighborhood because of the insular nature of the one community. They don't communicate with the other. So anytime I see a black and Jewish person on my block talking to each other, there's like, I know there's a problem. Like something happened. Like it wasn't just like they're just shooting the breeze, right? But I'm like, so I have these neighbors who now, by extension of my landlord, cussing them out are like, what does that mean about our relationship? And trying to just be prayerful about what to do. Well, I've had this uh, tradition. Some of y'all, I've, I've, preached, I've mentioned it in sermons in the past where uh, during Purim, I have like, made this effort to try to extend love to my neighbors by giving them a gift. Purim is a holiday that celebrates the Esther story. That is a major holiday. If you're in Crown Heights, you probably heard a lot of fireworks and noise uh, a couple of because it was just this past Tuesday. And one of the postures, almost like Halloween and Christmas put together, like they, you know, it's people dress up, but then they give gifts. So I would knock on my neighbor's door and risk. I was like, I hope I don't get the cops called on me. But it was actually very loving. It was a beautiful exchange. People were showing me love. It was dope. So this time I came around and I'm like the neighbors to the right. Ah, because it wasn't just the construction issue. After that, there were other issues that happened that caused more and more frustration. So in any case, I decided, you know what, I'm going to not live in my flesh and the spirit. And uh, give them this gift. And the response was they gave me a bigger gift (laughs) that was even more. And there was a sense of shock and awe about the fact that what I was doing and how I responded, because they knew the past. And here's the point. We can't do shalom in the sense of justice out there if we're not starting with the interactions we have with each other. Justice without sacrificial love is impossible. Cornel West said justice is what love looks like in public. And so if we want to seek the shalom of the city, it must happen both on an individual and a systemic level which is why as a church that we, we talk about just personal righteousness, but also justice and Pray March Act is a big part of that. So the question becomes, whose shalom do you seek this week? And don't just start with the people you like. Actually, think about the shalom of those, because you know they say hurt people hurt people. Broken people break things. And if I don't come into that place from a sacrificial standpoint, then I'm just repeating the cycle. And that is the lesson that God is trying to tell them. And he goes on to say in verse eight, because not everybody is a fan of this message. In verse eight, it says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So he says, look, there are those whose dreams that they're trying to sell to you that are false dreams, that are false hopes. And that I didn't send them. And and this point is basically just that hope expects tension. 
Hope expects tension. Some of us are like, wait a minute, why am I living in this place where I am representing God, but then there are other people who are representing God who are saying the exact opposite that I'm saying, what does that even mean? And what Jeremiah is telling us is that this ain't nothing new. This is nothing new because there's only one thing worse than a dream deferred, and that's a dream distorted. And we got, and, and, and the thing is, Jeremiah starts to call out these lying prophets by name. And they, he, he calls them out to say they are lying on God. So because he calls them out by name, I figure I should too. Because, see, these false prophets want you to believe that you should live in this world without tension. That there's not this sense of like an innate difficulty of what it means to live in the world and not have everything that you desire and want, but also live in a world in which other people are not on the same spiritual path as you. And so as a result of those things put together, they sell a lot of false dreams. Now, I'm a hip-hop head. Grew up in Philly. Love the roots. That's my jam. And yet at the same time, if I'm impacted more by what Jay-Z has to say than Jesus, then I am buying into a false dream. His spouse may be the greatest entertainer of our era. But if Bay is presenting a different sexual ethic than the Bible, then I need to ask which one has my allegiance and my hope. We have to learn to live in the end, but not of tension. Can I get to a place where I'm not demonizing people, but I'm also not completely in alignment with everything that they teach and communicate because it's expedient to me because I want to be in the crowd. We are exiles. And exiles, there's aspects that we can partake and say, hey, I'm going to build up the culture. I want to build up, you know, the city. But I also am distinct and realize this is not my home. And if we falter to the one side or the left, we get it twisted. But it's not just in the aspect of cultural appropriation and completely being absorbed by the culture. In this context, we're the ones being appropriated. But on the other side, especially you have people who listen, especially in the American evangelical church, who are more prone, instead of listening to the Lord of hosts, to listening to entertainment news hosts. They will rather blindly trust Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson's lies about an insurrection that we all witness rather than recognize the fact that God ain't promised that this land was supposed to be the kingdom of God. He's promising us to trust in the kingdom of God, not by creating political power, but by leaning on him as the one that's all powerful. When you're trying to kick out foreigners in your city more than you're trying to seek the shalom of your city, you're a false prophet. When you're preying on someone from the LGBT community more than praying for the LGBT community, you're part of the problem. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. And the Lord is altogether saying something different. He's saying, I'm not about the left way or the right way. I am the only way. He expects tension. Hope expects tension. Do you expect the tension? That might feel politically homeless. That might feel socially homeless. And some of you are like, what is he saying? What does that mean by that? And I'm just going to have to live with that because I'm in exile. Don't read into anything else other than what I just said. But there's one last insight, one last thing that's important for us as we close. 
Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, again, your shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and get in all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He tells them this promise. He says, this is the full context of what you're going to do. And many people have taken that first verse, that verse 11, out of context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Hope in the future. So that means nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Well, clearly in the context we've already established, that's not what Jeremiah means. He's already telling them, 70 years, you're going to be exactly where you don't want to be. Doing exactly what you don't want to do. Essentially as a semi-slave. How does that fit in with the coffee mug version of this verse? The other problem is, it says, when it says I have the plans I have for you in our Western evangelical individualistic context, we think that means me personally. This is a plural you in the Hebrew. The plans I have for us together, the plans I have is to prosper you in my way, in my time. Hope is waiting for that sense of triumph and understanding. This is not some magical incantation. When he says, I know the plans I have for your shalom, he's talking about your complete and utter and holistic well-being. And sometimes that's going to take long. 70 years, do you realize most of the people he's saying this to won't live to see the return? How does that fit into our theological context? To say, I, have a, I know the plans I have for you, but they for your kids to fully get realized and see. They for your grandkids to fully get, oh, now, see, this is big boy theology right here. This is like, okay, What do you mean it's not always for me? And it's like, yes, that's the holistic, eternal plans of God. But I can rest and trust in him because even still, he has something for me. Because he says, look, this is the key part. Then you will call on my name and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. Are you seeking God? Because that's where the hope gets deepened. That's where the relationship gets restored. When I align myself in my heart and my desires to his eternal plans, that's what gives me perspective. You realize sometimes prayer is not about having God answer you. It's about you being in alignment with him. But regardless, and so, so because of that, we got to spend time with God, y'all. Um, in fact, and this is, I, I work with our Daily Bread Ministries. I put out uh, devotionals for the next three months in the back. Get in the Word daily, y'all. God does things when we start to align ourselves to his will and his way. But it is still this point that's important that hope expects triumph. He says, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. And even though that doesn't mean how that gets distorted oftentimes, it does mean in the end, he does say, I will bring this back to fruition. I will bless you in a way that's deeper than what you may imagine. And we get to see the fullness of that revealed. Two chapters later, Jeremiah says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
for this is the covenant that they will that I will make with the house of Israel all those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He predicts and prophesies of this new covenant that will get reset, their new relationship that will get reset. And we see in the New Testament, in Hebrews 12, verse 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkling and the sprinkle into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's the better word? Abel's blood cried out for justice. It cried out for vengeance. Jesus' blood was the one that says, I cry out for mercy and for grace. And it says that word, that covenant is one that I have with you. And so now I will write that law in your hearts. The Holy Spirit will be poured out in you. And now you have the hope of glory through his resurrection. It's the fruition. You see, the exiles did come back. And because the exiles came back and the temple was restored, we see that in Ezra and see that in Nehemiah. Eventually a a baby came up in that temple that the prophetess Anna said, this is the one that, that, that we've been waiting for. She was old in age when she saw him, a widow. And that one, that baby would later be the one that in Colossians 1.27, it says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Watch this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We carry with us the hope of glory in Christ's presence. And that hope is worth having because it's worth waiting for. That hope anticipates a triumph. Oh, it may not come how you want it to come, but it does come. These old folks said it may not come when you want them, but he'll be there right on time. Yes, he is. And we do this act of communion. We, as a church, we reflect on this as an expression of hope of hope expecting triumph. Some of that, and again, even Jesus' own hope fulfilled is an already not yet, it's partially there. He's already overcome the cross, but he's yet still coming back and still doing a work in us while we're in exile. Don't get impatient in the exile. Recognize that hope expects time, expects trials, expects tension, but also expects triumph. If you wouldn't mind standing with me and grabbing the communion elements under your seat. The beautiful thing about being in exile is this place is not my home. This is not the ultimate hope for me. Yes, I still want to be part of God's plan of bringing about shalom in New York City, in Brooklyn, and wherever you might find yourself but I'm not losing myself in the midst of that. And and this bread, this wafer, this represents Jesus's body who came from heaven to earth as an exile. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant with my blood in the Old Testament that any covenant agreement had to be established with the shedding of blood. But this time, instead of a sheep or a goat, Jesus said it was be my own blood. And so as we drink this, we both simultaneously recognize 
that the new covenant has been established in us, and yet we still wait for it with the hope because he said the next time I'm going to eat is when I'm with y'all together. So drink this with me as an expression of our hope. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for the ways in which you tell us in your word that we can expect trials. That we can expect that things are going to take time, God. And we can ex- even expect tension where we don't completely fit in and we, we critique things that we see in the culture that we recognize are not in alignment with you. God, we can feel homeless sometimes and I can feel lonely. But God, thank you that that's why you said it was so important to gather, that we are reflections of a kingdom that you are building in and through us and in through this community. Lord, help us to be agents of your shalom. Help us to make good time while we are in exile. Help us to continue to have the hope that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And as we have just ingested these elements of communion, help us to remember that you are with us, you are for us, and that you promise us a future and a hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email, info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m. and the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope to see you soon.